we don't really groom horses to make them show ring presentable or groom the horses to um, to memorize their bodies, to know their temperatures, to know their habits, to know how much they're eating and drinking. We really groom for their health. And it just so happens that a byproduct of grooming a horse for their health is that they look really, really nice and can go down center line and look amazing. And so that's honestly the job of a groom. It's it's healthcare and and grooming is just the teeny tiniest part of it. Welcome to Practical Horseman's Podcast, featuring conversations with respected riders, industry leaders, and horse care experts. The show, which runs every other week, is co-hosted by Practical Horseman editors, and our goal is to inform, educate, and inspire. I'm Sandy Olenek, and this week's episode is with Leave Good, a top groom in the industry and founder of ProEquineGrooms.com. Leave started life with horses, as many typical girls do pestering her parents for a horse when she was about five years old, which is something I think many of us can relate to. She filled her horse bug at summer camps and local riding programs and subsequently spent years in the saddle trying out different disciplines, including hunters, jumpers, reining, and ultimately dressage. After leaving a job in the corporate world, she focused on learning all she could as a professional groom. She started her grooming career with Gunter Seidel in California in 2006, caring for his Olympic team bronze medal partner, Aragon. After grooming for years, Leaves saw the need to bring professional grooms and horse owners together in a supportive and educational manner. In 2011, she founded ProEquineGrooms.com, which is an online resource that provides information about grooming, employment, and horse care. She's also written several articles about stable management for Practical Horseman magazine. For this conversation, Leave and I spoke in Middleburg, Virginia. We discuss why she loves dressage, how and why she decided to become a professional groom, and how she ended up working for Gunter, which is interesting because she initially saw a flyer in a tax store. Leave also shares what a typical day of a professional groom is like, and she gives lots of tips on grooming, improving the health of your horse, and keeping you both safe. Our high-tech recording studio was my 2011 Prius near Middleburg Tack Exchange, which is a local equestrian hotspot. I'm not sure if it was a car, the microphone, or the overcast day, but about three quarters of the way through the interview, a little static crops up. You'll be able to hear the interview, but I wanted to give you a heads up so that you didn't think it was your device. We will put highlights from those sections on our website. Now, let's jump right into the conversation with Leave, where she starts by sharing how she first became involved in horses. Well, I think it was pretty much like every horse girl's kind of background, and I was about five, and that was when I started hounding my parents for a pony, and about a year later at six, they're like, okay, we'll send you to summer camp for a couple of weeks. They had horses and ponies there, and it was pretty much, it was downhill from there. And I just kind of grew up riding at, at summer camps and taking week, weekly lessons at a school barn and kind of carried on through junior high, high school, college, and beyond. Um, you spent years in the saddle riding hunters, jumpers, reiners, and ultimately dressage. How did you come to have such a diversified riding background? Well, I've always been the kind of person that is insanely curious about so many different things in the world. And 
consider myself more of a jack of all trades and an expert at none except for grooming and horse care. And for me, trying different disciplines and trying different saddles and different styles was a way that I could pick up amazing knowledge from different trainers and different disciplines because they all really boil down to the same thing. Um, and it was, it was just fun to experiment and to try different things. And there was a point in my life as well, where I just thought to myself, I'm too old to be going at breakneck speed over giant fences. Like, there was a preservation. There was this thing that kind of kicked in that was like, you don't bounce anymore the way that you used to. So that's kind of the natural evolution for me was just to try it all and then find the safest thing to to carry on with. Okay. So now you've sort of landed with dressage. That's your, what you riding wise. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So I have a dressage horse right now. He's, he's older, he's retired. I still ride him in a dressage saddle, but that old saying about ride what you have. I have a dressage horse. We ride dressage. Now living where I live now on the East coast, I've also discovered that, that fox hunting is really, really fun. Um, I'm kind of getting the bug to go over very, very small fences, like maybe 18 inches or, you know, on a friend's horse or something like that. Mm-hmm. I love, love, love trail riding. I never thought I would be that person who was like, I'm going to go for a trail ride. Absolutely love it now. What, what do you like about dressage? Um... Wow. So what do I like about dressage? Um, it's definitely not white breeches. It's definitely not the discipline. It's definitely not how difficult it is. But it's also, I love the white breeches, I love the discipline, and I love how difficult it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a great way and to put it. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think with whatever discipline that you have, and I, I learned this, I don't, I don't know if I learned this or if it was just kind of like one of those revelations that you have one day, where my horse was getting older and I realized there was going to be a time where I wasn't going to be able to ride him. And I needed to make the decision was do I keep pushing? Do I keep reaching for some goal? Do I keep, you know, learning this or learning that? Or do I just take every ride as the best ride I've ever had? And when I started thinking of every ride as being my last ride, so I better make it the best ride, things got a lot more fun. I could still enjoy the discipline of it and still enjoy the difficulty of it, but I made myself completely changed my mindset about how, how tricky and, and difficult and what's the word? It's dressage is, it's just so succinct and it's challenging and it's, it's demanding and you think you need to ride every step, but you, you really don't need to ride every step. Mm-hmm. You just need to start them and then enjoy the subsequent steps. So when and why did you switch uh, to growing your expertise as a professional groom? Can you talk us through that process? Oh, yeah. So I used to have a super boring nine to five corporate job. And it was just it was super frustrating. And there wasn't a lot of growth for me. And it wasn't really what was getting me out of bed in the morning. And I decided to put that down and go back to school to get a master's degree And I realized that in the process of writing your dissertation, you basically, you live, breathe, and eat your dissertation, and it starts to get you a little crazy. So I thought, I've got to get like a part-time job I can do on the weekend. So I was teaching up-down lessons at a local barn. And one day on the way back from teaching lessons, I stopped at Mary's Tack in 
in uh, Del Mar, California, and they had a sign on the board that Gunter Seidel needed a groom. And I was like, perfect. I don't know who this guy is, but it sounds interesting. <laughs> like, so I, I went home and I looked up, you know, what is what does it take to be a professional groom? And I'm like, wow, I could really learn a lot about horses and horse care. And I had just bought my first horse, you know, a couple of years previously. So I thought, what a great opportunity to um, learn all about horse care from all different angles being a groom. And then I ended up working for him for a couple years. It was something that, again, my curious nature and my my desire to just absorb all I could kind of led me into being a professional groom. Um, funny story. This is a great story about Gunter. Um, that I'm pretty, I might have told him this at some point, but after I had contacted him because I found the flyer that he needed a groom, I didn't hear from him from about for about three weeks. Oh, okay. And I was like, okay, you know, whatever. So one day I'm at home working on my dissertation and I'm like, you know, pulling my hair out because I can't format this paragraph or insert a chart or something. And the phone rings and I don't recognize the number and I pick it up and it's Gunter. And he want, he called to let me know that he got my message and that he has found somebody else for the position. But he wanted to thank me for applying. And I was like, wow, he's not a jerk at all. And then he said, um, I apologize for taking so long to call you. I've been at WEG. And I'm like, great, thanks. Let me know if this person doesn't work out. I'm happy to, I'm happy to step up, you know. Mm -hmm. Or if you need somebody to cover on a day off, I'm happy to do that as well. So we get off the phone and I'm thinking I'm never going to hear from him again. So I go back to my desk and I just type in what is WEG because I had no idea. I didn't know Gunter was famous. I didn't know he was an Olympian. I didn't even know what WEG was. And so all of a sudden I'm reading about WEG and I just start to like, I just like get really pale and ghosty and shocking. I'm like, I can't believe who I just spoke to on the phone. <laughs> Wow. And I was, I was, a, I was a little bit relieved that he had said that he'd found somebody else for the position because I was like, well, there's no, like, I'm super unqualified for that. Like, I didn't even know what WEG was. And turns out he called me the next day ah. and he said, the rest of my team doesn't get along with a new person. Can you start tomorrow? And I'm like, sure. Wow. <laughs> and I did. So deep what? end, jumped right into it. What, um, I'm curious, what do you think it was about? I don't know if you filled out an application, like how, why do you think he picked up the phone to call, call you? What, what? I honestly, I have no idea. I have no idea, but I, I met him in person. Um, after he called the second time I met his team, I met the horses and we all got along and he, he did ask me, he says, well, how do you feel about handling really hot horses? And I said, I have a redheaded thoroughbred cross. He's like, you'll be fine. <laughs> so I was, I was. So, you know, what were some of your favorite horses to groom and why? Oh, Gunter's horse, Aragon. He was um, one of his smaller horses and he was gray. So obviously grooming him was a huge challenge. Um, and he was a pill. He had, he had opinions. Yeah. Oh, hmm. he was a hot, hot pill. And he loved he loved to just go from zero to a thousand in like the blink of an eye. And he was the kind of horse where once 
you and the, this horse, Aragon, established that he is not going to scare you. He's like, oh, I love you so much. He also had a very unique way of coming in from turnout. Um, they were out for a couple hours every day on this beautiful, large grass pasture. And we would go to the gate to get Aragon. And he would see you from the far corner and he would charge you at a dead gallop. He's like, I'm coming to the gate. I'm coming for you. And you had to literally just outstretch your arm, straighten your elbow, put your palm up, and he would gallop up to you and ever so gently boop you on the hand. <laughs> and let me tell wow. you, the first time he did that, I was like, this is it. This is how I'm dying. And wow. the other guys were like, just put your hand up, put your hand out. And I just reluctantly put my hand out and he just gave me the teeniest, tiniest little boop. <laughs> Yeah, he was yeah, a pill. Takes yeah, bravery. Yeah, but he was he was fantastic. He was also the horse that was very clear in his body language to you, so you always knew where he needed to be scratched. You always knew, okay. like, if he was ready for his carrot. He was not. He was not unopposed to like being really loud about what he needed. What are the the foremost duties that grooms have? Oh, to keep the horse alive. Literally. That's very important. That is that is our job as a professional groom. You keep that horse alive and sound and happy and healthy. And probably last on the list is clean. Hmm. Because we don't really groom horses to make them show ring presentable. We groom the horses to um, to memorize their bodies, to know their temperatures, to know their habits, to know how much they're eating and drinking. We really groom for their health. And... It just so happens that a byproduct of grooming a horse for their health is that they look really, really nice and can go down center line and look amazing. And so that's honestly the job of a groom. It's, it's healthcare and, mm -hmm. and grooming is just the teeny tiniest part of it. It's like the icing on the cake. It's the icing on a very, very precious cake. Okay, so Leave, after grooming for years, you saw the need to bring professional grooms and horse owners together in a supportive and educational manner, and you founded the ProEquineGrooms.com in 2011. Why did you, you know, what, is, what is it exactly, and why did you start the resource? Well, I started it because I realized that there wasn't a whole lot on the internet at the time about how to take care of your horse as if he was going to the Olympics. And I had learned so much from all the top vets and farriers and saddle fitters and massage therapists and chiropractors that all of these day-to-day -day ins and outs of my job as a professional groom, keeping these amazing horses sound and happy and healthy and shiny, I wanted a way that the, any horse owner could learn the same techniques and the same information and the same health care um, you know, do's and don'ts that I had learned. So it became a way for me to like kind of download my brain and everything that I'd learned into a place that was like an encyclopedia, a resource, if you will, a searchable resource to come on and, you know, I've got a question about scratches or I've got a question about vaccinations or how to untangle a tail. I want to cover all of those things and make it easy to find and and make it fun and, and digestible to read. Mm -hmm. 
Great. And this is for um, who are you targeting? Both, you know, people who want to be professional grooms, but also horse owners. Maybe talk a little bit about that. So honestly, it's anybody who wants to or needs to find out about anything. I have plenty, plenty of people that send me emails that don't even ride. And that, you know, they've got their neighbor has horses and they can see them from the back porch and they're wondering why they do this or why do you do that? And then I've got people who are in lesson programs and I have um, readers and listeners that contact me because they have their own horse. So they want to get their own horse. You know, how do I even start to get a grooming kit put together? And and I think having that kind of a really, really wide audience helps me um be creative with how I present information because sometimes it's really different. Right. Depending on, depending on who you are and and what your relationship is to a horse. Um, And as far as the grooms aspect of things, I find it really important because there's not a lot of information out there with reference to what it's like to, to legally work in the horse industry, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of employers that, Maybe don't classify their grooms correctly. Maybe they're classified as independent contractors instead of employees. And what does that mean for somebody? And so I have resources so that you can, if you're an employee or an employer, you can find out what does it really mean, the difference between hourly and salary? When do I need to provide workman's comp? Or when can I expect to get workman's comp? What does workman's comp even mean? So resources like that, if you work in the horse industry or you're hiring somebody to work in the horse industry. But basically, the the main focus is on just getting the the horse care information out there in, in one central location. I rely on people to contact me through social media, or you can always email me directly and and ask the questions and chances are i've already written about it um or you've read what i've written about but you still have a little more specific of a question and i am absolutely happy to help mm-hmm. it is it's fun for me to know that that i am you know expanding somebody's knowledge base and every now and again i have somebody that will um either meet me in person or send me a message about, I read this, or I watched your video on this, or I heard your podcast about this, and then I saw it with my own eyes, and it was amazing. And that that to me is like, oh, right, okay, yes, it, it's working. The system is working. I guess getting back a little bit to, you know, professional grooming, what, what does a professional groom do? Like, what's a typical day? Uh, a typical day is usually starting fairly early in the morning. Um, you know, some barns, they start at 5, 530, 6, 6.30. Um, it's feeding, it's mucking, it's daily early morning health checks. What's everybody's temperature? Are their legs good? Is there any heat or swelling anywhere? New bug bites? Anything not seem normal? Did they drink the same amount of water that they normally drink overnight? How's their manure look? Are the urine piles and spots typical? Anything out of the ordinary. Your your main job as a groom is to memorize your horses so that when something is different, you notice it mm-hmm. and then you do something about it. And sometimes it's just like, it's not a big deal. Like they they didn't drink as much water as the night before because they pooped in the bucket. Or they didn't drink as much water as the night before because something's wrong. So you're 
you're a collector of information in the morning and then you do turnouts and then you bring in from turnout and then you get the horses ready to be ridden. And then if you're lucky, you get to hack some of your own. Then maybe you've got lessons to, um, to help with in the afternoon, getting the client horses ready. Then it's more turnouts. Then it's hand walking. Boy, I would log so many miles hand walking. Woo. Talk about being fit. And then it's, you know, the lunch chores and the evening chores and tucking in everybody for bed, but doing the same things in the morning, in the evening. How is their water intake during the day? Do they have the appropriate number of manure piles in the appropriate spaces? Because horses tend to be really habitual. Things like that. Hmm. And noticing the little things that might stand out and might mean something for the overall health of the animal. So it is, um, it is a job for somebody who loves details, who is really into um, noticing trends over time. Because there is, like, I always, I always kind of think of the example of, like, you can memorize your horse's legs. You know where they've got scars and scrapes and lumps and bumps from previous this, that, or the other. But you also need to look at the bigger trends about, you know, are they keeping the same weight? As we transition into fall and winter, are they dropping weight? And when you see them every day, it's it's hard to see the bigger trends. So you can use a weight tape and things like that. But it's noticing the day-to-day minutia, but also keeping the big picture in, in mind. And I am not opposed. Get a journal. Find an app. Write it down. Because it's a lot. Right. I, that's, I was just thinking that. Like, how do you remember all that? I, I have lots and lots of lots of journals that I keep track of. And in the I board my horse and he's got a binder that if I'm out of town and the owner needs to find out this, that or the other about him, she can look in the binder and it's oh he had he was shod two and a half weeks ago. He's good. Or his blanket will be back from the cleaner this day, not a problem. So all of that is there, not just for my own memory and help with my memory, but for the other caretakers on the property so that they don't have to text me if I'm traveling for a work trip. Mm-hmm. It's all there. They can, they can access it. It's great. Um, this might be too general a question, but if you notice something was wrong with your, you know, the manure piles weren't there, what's like the next step? So I, and I always tell this when I, I do a lot of grooming clinics and talks at expos and things like that. And I, and I always tend to talk about heavy subjects. Laminitis for me is a subject that is near and dear to my heart because it is, it's a devastating thing to, to deal with. And there's a lot that horse owners can do to help their horses never, ever get laminitis. So I talk a lot about really scary things. And then I'll look out in the audience and everyone's got like these big eyes and they're like, this like instant state of panic. So I remind people that there's lots of things that you're going to find about your horse that indicate something's different, but take a step back and, you know, expand out to your day, expand out to the week. So for example, we're talking about turning your horse in, tucking him in for the evening, and you're doing the last uh, scoop of the stalls. Did he um, get an extra hour of turnout? And he maybe did some pooping out in the paddock and not in the stall. So don't necessarily go to the, oh my gosh, he's getting an impaction colic. It might just be that he pooped in a different spot. (laughs) Um, Same thing with um, digital pulses. 
around their fetlocks because that's a really good indication of what's going on inside the hoof. So every time I pick feet, which is a lot of times a day, I'm going to check the digital pulses. Now, if I find a digital pulse that's stronger than normal, you know, part of my brain says his hoof is going to fall off tomorrow. I have to call the vet. Everybody panic. The other part of my brain says, well, he was standing in the hot sun and, you know, he was fooling around on the pavement and he stepped on a stone. So you have to take it as this is a sign. Let's look for other things that are might be happening. For example, what are the digital pulses on the other legs? So expand out, expand out, and never, ever be afraid to call your vet in a panic. Trust me, plenty of vets have said, leave, put the phone down, step away, <laughs> and go get a beer. Come on. And all the vets that I know and that I've ever worked with are so happy to get a phone call from you just to shush out kind of the what ifs. They're happy to come out to take a look at something, but they're also happy to say, don't panic. It's going to be fine. Try this. Okay. Yeah. Right. So it's, yes. It never hurts to call your vet if you're. Absolutely not. And I will also say it's not a hundred percent proven scientifically, but the longer you wait to call your vet, the bigger your bill is going to be. So if you're concerned about the budgeting of things, just know that every day that you wait, your, your budget gets blown a little bit more. Mostly. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. Just because mm -hmm. things, if something is wrong, it can deteriorate. Oh, absolutely. Things can escalate. And then your horse maybe starts to like, you know, take a little bit of weight on an extra leg or he gets more uncomfortable and he, you know, it just, and they're so weird to start with. Right. So why would someone want to be a professional groom? What, what are the pluses and benefits? Well, one, you can get the education of a lifetime. If that is something that you are interested in, or you know you want a career in horses, but you don't exactly know what you want to do with horses, if you're a professional groom, you get to interact with all of the horse careers that have ever existed on the planet. That's a very good point. And if you take advantage of picking everybody's brain about their job and their day and what it was like and what kind of schooling you need and how they got into it, you can really start to narrow down something um, that you're really, really passionate about. Um, in the meantime, getting this amazing, massive education about being a professional groom. Now, granted, you really have to like dislike sleeping. You really need to love to get up before dawn. You really need to love smelling all sorts of interesting flavors throughout the day. <laughs> um, it's, it's a dirty job. It's physical. Mm-hmm. And it's hard and it can be emotionally difficult as well because you do get really attached to these amazing creatures mm -hmm. and they get sold or they're retired or something happens and emotionally it can be tricky. Now, it's also emotional when you send a horse into the ring and they win something amazing like a medal. So you have that as well. Yeah, it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And although nobody's putting the medal around your particular neck, you know that you deserve it just as much as anybody else on that horse's team. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, that leads into my next question. When I was getting ready for this interview, recalled that eventer Andrew Nicholson, who actually, interestingly initially groomed for Mark Todd, had said, um, but Nereo, if... If I walk into the stable, he'll stand to attention. He's ready. The groom can walk in, and he's like a donkey. I, 
I take hold of him and he's ready to go. I ride them. I don't go and cuddle them and give them polos. I respect them. They learn very quick that you do a serious job and that the one over there feeds me and pampers me. So I th- that was interesting. I mean, I think it speaks to the special relationship uh, that professional grooms have with their horses. So maybe can you talk about that bond? Oh, yeah, because, you know, typically... Um... You know, a rider, they have a really full day. They have a lot of horses to ride. They have a lot of clients to teach. They have a lot of clinics to go run. They have a lot of competitions to travel to and things like that. Um, So Gunter was always very hands-on with his horses, but he also trusted his entire team to say, I have to go teach at another barn. You guys got it. Um, And we do spend inordinate amounts of time with the horses in a different manner than being ridden um, under saddle. And, and I, I speak about this um, from my experience, both as a rider and as a groom, my relationship with my horse when I'm riding him is very different than the one that we have on the ground because on, in the saddle, especially with dressage, it's such a, um, it's such a pristine kind of specific sport where you're directing them and they're following you. And yes, they're your partner, but you're still very much the leader. On the ground, it's a very different relationship because as a groom, I have to read his language a lot more than when I'm in the saddle. Because on the ground, he's telling me what he needs where on his body. There's a little bit of that in the saddle as well. Like maybe he's not moving forward. Maybe he doesn't want to go sideways today. Like he's a little stiffer here. He's a little stiffer there. But on the ground... It's the entire part of his world that he communicates to you about. Hmm. It's the, it's the water, it's the food, it's the grooming, it's the turnout, it's, you know, his fly sheets. Everything is, is a much broader paint stroke when you're the groom. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah, It's, it's a, it's a different language. mm -hmm. It's similar, but. It, it's still it's still a little bit different, but I understand it. And horses know, I think, who their grooms are and who their riders are. Okay. I so. think they understand. And the playful horses like Aragon, um, he absolutely knows. Um, and it, you know, it's a real treat to it's a real treat to work with horses like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Andrew, again, when I was researching, also said that it's the groom's job to make sure the horse is mentally and physically in their peak giving them plenty of attention as well. I think I see a lot of that in show jumping world as well. I guess, can you speak about that? You know, especially the mental aspect, you know, keeping your horse mentally. Oh, it's especially when you have a top competition horse that is, is on the road a lot. Maybe they're doing long hauls to shows far away or they're flying or they're going internationally to, to um, places like that. It's very easy to say, this is a show horse. This is his job. But I can guarantee you that any show horse on the planet will say, I'm a horse first and I'm a show horse second. And when you are dealing with a horse's mental preparedness to compete or to be in a rigorous training program, their mental health is something that they can communicate to you really, really easily. Vices, you know, acting out, bad facial expressions, sour attitude, things like that. As a groom, you kind of know, like, okay, you you need an extra long hand walk this afternoon, and then we're going to hang out, and you can have some more time in the paddock, or you need more belly rubs, and just to get just them over it. yeah, just to get them over it. But 
also communicating with the rider and the vet to say, hey, he's been a little sour lately, or hey, I've noticed this while we're walking or when we're grooming or when we're in the stall together or the cross ties. And then the rider has more information to help them in the saddle. And then the vet has information should something come up down the road. So it's not just mentally preparing the horse and remembering they're a horse first, but it's also taking that information, again, backing up to do the big picture analysis of things, and then sharing that with the other people on the team to make sure that that show horse is ready to go and compete. Um, so now if someone decides they want to become a professional groom, what's the first step, would you say? Um, I hear this from grooms all the time, that they get their jobs through who they know. They ask who's hiring. They talk to their friends. Um, they might cold call a couple of barns. They're going to go to the shows. They're going to hang out. But it's very much a network of a network of who knows who, because it's a small community. There are a lot of online resources now, um, like equestrianjobs.com and some, you know, yard and groom and things like that, where you can find job listings. But if you're looking for something in your area or you want to go down to Florida for the season, you can always hook up with a bunch of the freelance grooms that go to, to Florida for the season and, you know, pick up work down there doing that. How would you, how would you pick up with the freelance grooms? Oh, there's tons of Facebook groups about it. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, it's just, it's just working the network. It's not so much like the classified ads of your, although, do they even have classifieds anymore? I, when was the last time I even <laughs> saw a newspaper? It's all on a screen. Mm-hmm. But, so network with who you know. And, and seriously, my first grooming job was with Gunter, the Olympian, although I didn't know it at the time. And it just, aim big. If you want it, go get it. Great. Nobody's going to give it to you. Okay, so what what is your usual grooming routine? I know you talked a little bit about it, but is there anything else? Uh, well, now I, I really just groom my own horse, and um, I'm really lucky. The farm that he lives at, um, they do a lot of the, the morning and evening and midday checks for me, you know, checking water and manure and things like that. So my routine is is a lot more hands-on with his body. You know, what's his temperature, all the pulses, respiration rates, heart rate, things like that. Then do you check those every day? Every day, like clockwork, because a horse is going to tell you that he's sick by when he's really, really, really sick, not at the beginning of something. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So if you check all that and if you, you check, yeah. notice. Yeah. And it's especially important if you do travel with your horse and you do compete in shows that their vital signs are something that are on your radar all the time, every day, especially if they've come back from, um, or if they've, if they've been on a trailer because shipping fever is something that is, it's pneumonia mm. and a horse can, cannot tell you he has it for a couple of days, whereas he could have been getting some treatment as soon as he started showing signs of a fever. So that's, that's another one of my, like my personal pet peeves. If you learn nothing else about horses, just learn how to take their temperature and, and do it every day. Um, I think I actually, there was an article about taking your horse's temperature in the last issue of Practical Horseman magazine. There was. Yeah. Yes. Thank you very much for that. It was a really good topic for me because it's like my, it's my anthem. Take their temperature. Um, so after I do all of like the leg check and the daily inspections and, you know, is there anything under the tail, you know, do my bug check. I do like to use my fingertips to inspect like the nooks and crannies, 
in between the hind legs, around the elbows, and all of that kind of like wrinkly skin that can get um, either infections or scabby flaky, or maybe there's a tick or something. And then I'll get down to the business of grooming where I'm also paying attention to what does their body feel like under my hand? You know, are there extra itchy places today? You know, was there a sting or something involved? And just kind of noticing the big picture things. And then we go for a ride and then we come back and I groom again. And then it's, then he's out for the rest of the day. And I really let him be as dirty and as gross as he wants to be. Why do you do that? Um, because that makes me curry comb him more. And the more you curry comb him and the more you let him be oily and gross himself, the skin is actually going to get better. So it's really, really tempting to use products every single day to strip down their hair to get stains out, to, you know, make them extra shiny. But the reality is, is if you use products as a last, as the last part of your routine and your focus, your grooming routine on bringing the natural oils, which is called sebum, to um, smear the sebum around and really coat their hairs with their natural oils, you're not going to have any problems with stains whatsoever. Yeah. And I recommend 10 minutes aside for curry combing. It's a long time. It's like three songs. So get your, you know, get your Spotify playlist, do three songs on each side, and you're going to have a really, really shiny horse that you're not going to have to bathe as often. And that's the currying. That's just curry combing. What is, and I think you've answered this, but maybe there's something else. What is uh, one thing that people need to incorporate more of into their grooming routines? Honestly, I think it's grooming. Okay. And, um, and that, that is probably a very false and very generalized statement on my part because, you know, there's a lot of barns where they, they cater to clients that have full-time jobs and children that have soccer matches and everybody's overscheduled and everybody's really busy, but you still want to have the experience of having a horse and taking riding lessons and, and being at the barn. But sometimes, um, sometimes you can't do that yourself and you have to rely on somebody else to do it for you. But I will always recommend that if you have a horse, you don't have to ride every day, but it'd be really nice to get to know them better through grooming. And to me, the groundwork, spending time with them on the ground um, and teaching them manners and the cross ties and, you know, civilized horse activities can only help you in the saddle. It's never, ever going to hinder you in the saddle. The other thing that I learned later in my riding career was that my riding improved when I got my own fitness routine. And that taught me two things. One, what it's truly like to be sore after a workout. Because it that imparts a certain level of empathy on our horses because we know that especially if they're at a higher level of training, that they are sore. It's it's part of building muscle, it's part of training, it's part of you know, Grand Prix horses don't jump over five and a half foot fences, you know, on day one. It's years and years of building muscle through strength training. And when you put your own body through that, you ha- you instantly develop this empathy of, I need to pay more attention to how my horse feels in his body. Maybe he's not being a jerk. Maybe he's trying to tell me, 
he hurts or he needs to have a trail ride that day. So that was one thing where I was able to, you know, use something that I did for myself to help me in the saddle. The other thing that an exercise routine taught me about riding was that it brings this level of self-awareness to your own body that really helps you in the saddle. Like I've ridden with with big name trainers with mirrors all over the place and I would still hear the same thing. Take your right shoulder and put it back. And like they could have just put a tape recording on the speaker system and played it for an hour. It would have been the same. And then when I started working out on my own, I was like, oh, my right shoulder really was never in the right spot, was it? So it brings that self-awareness into the saddle. So you can become a much better rider not in the saddle. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously you have to log stirrup time, but there yeah, there's other things you can do. It. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I want to talk a little bit about safety because safety around horses, you know, both for the humans and the horses is critical. Uh, what are some things grooms and horse owners could do to make themselves safer when caring for horses? Um, one is to, oh gosh, where do I even start with it? There's so many things. I keep I keep flashing back to photos I see on the internet about like, um, you know, somebody gets the photographer out to do shots with their horse and the horse is grazing and they're sitting on the ground. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, all I see is like the ambulance pulling up. Um, so I guess my first thing is be logical. Like horses, they can spook at any, bomb proof doesn't exist. And if you're putting yourself in a position of um, great risk, like crawling under them or I see this sometimes um, in in barns where people will actually um, drop down to their own knees to work on the lower legs, which is great. You're working on your horse's lower legs, but if you're on your knees, you have to get off your knees and then get up. If you're squatting and you're still on your feet, you can get up a lot easier. I always believe groom with one hand, hold your horse with the other so you can feel if they're starting to step into you. Um, I believe in cross ties. I believe in teaching your horse manners. And a lot of that has to do with paying attention. Is your horse training you or are you training your horse? Great example of this. You gave me like the squinty eye. Like, what does that mean? Tell me more. Um, Horses that paw. So you put your horse in the cross tie and he starts to paw. And what do you do? You pet him. You say, no, no, stop that. Knock that off. Maybe, you know, push him aside a little bit. So he's just trained you to pay attention to him when he does a behavior. So I had a horse that pawed and I was like, I've tried everything. And then I realized the one thing I hadn't tried was to walk away. So he would start to paw and I'd be like, fine. I put down all my stuff and I walked away to where he couldn't see me. And he's like, but what, what, what just happened? As soon as he stopped pawing, I would start to come back. If he started to paw again, nope, see you later. And he quickly learned that his behavior that used to bring me to him now sent me away. So thinking about safety in terms of who's training who here. This is also really relevant um, during feeding times. The horse that bangs the stall or, you know, paws at the ground during feeding time or makes grumpy faces at his neighbor. Don't feed him first. (laughs) Like, like, seriously, you're just going to have to like pat him up, put shipping boots on him or something. Don't feed him first. And only feed him when he stops the behavior. Because when he's doing a behavior that that you don't like, and you feed him to stop the behavior, he's just trained you. 
you need to feed him when he stops the behavior. So it's... Timing is critical. Timing is totally critical. Like everything in life. Timing is totally critical. This is a specific, a couple specific questions, but um, do you have any tips for getting or keeping a gray horse clean? It's kind of anybody who has had a gray horse. Oh yeah. Get them as, let them be as oily as possible. Like seriously, let them get oily, super oily, really oily. Like when you, when you put the hose on them, the water beads up like a freshly waxed car. How do you, how do you do that? Uh, well, you stay away from really harsh detergents. Don't use Orvis, please. That's for laundry, not for horses. Don't put bleach on your horse. Curry comb, curry comb, curry comb, curry comb, and also some more curry comb. And over time, the the natural oils on your horse are just going to build up and stains are going to slide away. Obviously, there's going to be times where you need that like little extra boost. Grass stains are a little difficult to get out, so I'm okay with like spot spot cleaning. Um, with a with a no rinse shampoo, but every time you are like, I'm gonna just strip everything by using a really really harsh detergent type bluing shampoo, which can be great, but you might notice that your horse's hair is a little drier when you're done. It's a little bit more brittle. That's just gonna pick up more stains. Yeah. So there's a place for them, you know. Product absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. If if. Going to a product is your first instinct. Maybe things need in your world need to flip around just a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Very good point. Um, is that the same for white socks? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely with white socks. Now, I will say um, with most show horses, the lower legs are clipped, which helps keep the white white. It also makes it a lot easier for um, scratches to stay at bay. It makes it easier to find ticks. It's, it's just a little bit easier sometimes for some horses to have the lower legs clipped. And it's, it's really common in show horses. Another question, um, grooming question. Do you have any tips for a nice full tail? Dressage horses always seem to have the most beautiful tails. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely. Um, you know, dressage horses typically have their tails banged which means that the lower edge of the tail is straight across. Like think of a bowl cut, but just on a tail. Okay. Um, if your horse has really, really large hindquarters, do not pull or clip the tail top the way that some leaner event horses will do because that just makes your horse's butt look even, even bigger and it makes the tail look a little bit skinnier. So keep as much of the tail top as you can on a dressage horse or to make any kind of horse make their tail appear a little bit fuller just keep it full on the top you can trim the sides with scissors if you need to um just to keep them there yeah just to, out the, or... the stray hairs like keep them in check and things like that and then bang the bottom of the tail and that's going to help fluff things up mm-hmm. there's a lot of grooms out there that will um take the tail into individual little strands like you know, a couple hundred hairs or so and tie the tail into knots to kind of give the tail like a body wave. Hmm. Remember the body wave from the eighties, you loose curls that your stylist would do on you. And that kind of makes the tail a little bit fuller. Obviously that's not something you're going to want to do every single day, but you could do that before competition to kind of fluff things up. Hmm. You can also use tail extensions, which get braided into the end of the tailbone. Uh, you just have to read the rules. If you're competing with uh, a tail extension, you just need to read your association's rules on 
if it's allowed first. And if you're jogging like FEI now, if you have a horse in competition at FEI level during the jog, you have to have the tail in hand. At least that was the rule a couple of years ago. What products do you have in your grooming box or grooming kit? Oh my, oh my gosh, all my sponsors are going to love me for this. So I really lucky, one of the only ways that Pro Equine Grooms stays up is that I have corporate sponsors that most of them I've had for years and years and years because they share the same mission of just education and horse care and horse health. And probably my favorite are the hands-on grooming gloves um, because they make curry combing your horse and bathing your horse, and running down their legs, and ears, and chins, so much easier. And then you can really easily do 10 minutes on each side if you're doing two hands, Mm -hmm. and the horses really love them. Um, I've also been with Shapley's since day one. They have an incredible line of super gentle uh, grooming products. They have a a no-rinse shampoo. They have all sorts of shine-enhancing things, and it's a really small company, they're based in the U.S. and everything is made in the U.S. And that to me is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't already have icing in your horse's life, he needs to get iced after exercise to keep inflammation down. And probably anybody over the age of 40 can tell you that's you know, you just wake up and you're like, oh, this is stiff. Ice always helps. So I've been with Ice Horse for years and years as well. And they've always kind of They've been products and companies that I've used long before I started the website. And it, it just makes sense. I have a new company I work with. Um, GreenGuard Equine makes these amazing muzzles because laminitis is so much on my forefront of preventative medicine and healthcare for horses that the grazing muzzle, especially when you live in this part of the world where grass is like everywhere and it's so thick and lush. Grazing muzzles are great to use. Green Guard has an amazing one. And I work with Socks socks for Horses. They have these just the most silly and incredible knee-high socks. They are, yeah, they're actually, they're actually integrated with silver. So there's healing properties as well. And they are a miracle cure for equine pastern dermatitis and various other things. But they're great for horses that stomp flies. They're great for scratches. So these companies that that whose products I use, this is not, it's not something that like they just call me out of the blue. This is years and years of using them and working with them and 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 believing in them and sharing them with the folks that I am boarding my horse with. Mm-hmm. It's it's all um, tried and true, hands-on, tested by me. And sometimes I use them on the barn dogs because <laughs> the barn dogs like to find things to roll in. So who do you look up to and why? Honestly, I, I look up to other grooms that sacrifice so much and that can have been doing that job for years, sometimes even decades. And to have that level of dedication and perseverance and time management skill set. <laughs> you know, obviously I look up to top riders that that I know have a very kind treatment of their staff and their grooms and their horses. There's there's a, a ton of good in the horse world and I really like to focus on that. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I look up to my horses for for 
literally putting up with me. There's a huge learning curve when you first start working with a horse. You know, they learn us as much as we have to learn them. And honestly, horses are a lot more tolerant than people. And they really, really deserve a lot of credit because we climb on them. And then we ask them to do things underneath us. And most of the time they do it willingly. And there's, there's a lot to be said for that. So I really appreciate all of those really good horses that I've not only groomed, but had the pleasure of riding. Again, it goes back to that every ride might be the last one. So you better make it good. And also have a really clean horse whose temperature you've taken underneath you. <laughs> Another plug for the temperature. Another plug to take your horse's temperature. That's exactly right. Besides grooming, what else do you love to do? Well, I love yoga. I'm a yoga teacher and I love in, your spare time. in my spare time and I absolutely adore hiking. Now that I'm on the East Coast, we've got amazing mountains and forests and just a wonderful network of trails. When I lived on the West Coast, I was an ocean surfing bunny, but now that the ocean's a little further away, I've discovered the mountains and I think it's really important, doesn't matter what you do in your entire life. A lot of us say that horses are our escape, but when you think about it, we're still there for the horse. If you want to, find something that's literally just about you. Hmm. Only, only about you. Because it can be stressful to care for horses because they do make us worry. And then it's not really, truly relaxing if they're, if you're maybe worried about something. So find something that you like just for you. It'll help you. And your horses will absolutely appreciate it. What advice would you give to your younger self? Oi, that is, that's, that's like five other podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> um, advice to my younger self would be, I kind of wish I'd started exercising for myself earlier. I, um, I always rode, but I never found the joy in having a completely other type of exercise and to be able to to harness that kind of stress dump that it can provide hmm. because it, it, it really can. It doesn't matter what you pick. If you, if you want to hike, if you want to do yoga, if you want to run, if you love baseball, find something that, that speaks to you that isn't stressful that you can just do for you. And I kind of wish I'd done that earlier. And also it makes you, it, I don't know, exercise just makes me better at the things that I do when I'm not exercising. The benefits of it carry over into other aspects of your life. So it's not like, I mean, a lot of people obviously have to work and then, you know, to own their horses and they might have families, but you still think you gotta try to fit it in. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And it's good for your heart. It's good for your heart and white breeches. I'm just saying. <laughs> Last question, why do you think you've been so successful? Honestly, I've never, ever measured anything. I've never put myself on any sort of success scale. I've, I measure what I'm doing as being worthwhile because it can change and help other people. Like when I get those emails about, thanks for teaching me how to check my horse's digital pulse. I didn't know that trick about how to get stickers out of a horse's mane. You know, things like that. That, that to me is the, is the measure of I don't even want to use the word success. I just want to use the word of being helpful. Well, thank you very much. We really appreciate uh, all the time and insights that you've given us. It's always, always a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Practical Horseman's podcast. 
You can find Leaves articles on stable management in Practical Horseman Magazine and on our website at practicalhorsemanmag.com. Tune in again for upcoming conversations with eventing Olympian Boyd Martin, show jumping Olympian Laura Kraut, and California hunter, jumper, and equitation trainers Carlton and Tracy Brooks. I'd really appreciate your feedback, so if you have time, please rate and review the show. You can subscribe to our podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. And thanks again for listening. Have a great day.